Hello and welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we are coming to you once again from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, a ministry that started way back in 1938 with a radio program called the Detroit Bible Class. And since that time, it's exploded to a ministry that reaches millions of people with resources. Of course, the most famous being the devotional that bears the same name. We're very thankful to be here in the studio of Our Daily Bread and excited to introduce our guest for today. First of all, before we do that, Chad, uh, Penn State. Ooh, rough, <laughs> rough, rough. I thought you might bring that up. but well, uh, and I was hoping to sort of counteract and, and, and beat you to the punch, talking about how good Duke basketball looks. That Maybe there's uh, well, something in the making They're 1-0, maybe, something like that. But so are, the, so are the Tar Heels. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Zion. You, you can think that until you play them. Well, we'll see what happens. And, and you know, the other one of the other teams I follow, I feel like we could we could bring up and and perhaps segue to our guest because it turns out that uh, as a fellow Detroit Lions fan and first name uh, similar to mine, uh, Brian Smith is with us. He is a uh, staff member for Athletes in Action at uh, University of Wisconsin Madison. We're excited to uh, get to know Brian a little bit today. Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So we don't know a lot about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's clear that you turn out a good amount of content and think very deeply about matters of sport and faith. So we're excited to get into some of that. But can you give us a little history of yourself, a little background on how you got into this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I, yeah, from a, a town called Rockford, so I ran track and cross country there. I grew up, it's funny, this is the, like the Daily Bread podcast, but I grew up um, at the dinner table every single night. My dad would get out the, the little Daily Bread devotional, and that was kind of our, our spiritual rhythm as a family that he would lead us in. And so, so definitely familiar with that resource. Um, grew up in a, a Christian home, but also grew up loving and playing every single sport imaginable. So I ran track and cross country at, at Rockford High School. Uh, ended up running track and cross country um, down in North Carolina at Wake Forest University. And after I graduated there in 2005, I married my high school sweetheart, Lindsay, who was running track and cross um, up north at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And Lindsay was heavily involved in this ministry called Athletes in Action during her time there. And so when I, when I married her and moved up, I was kind of thrust into ministry lifestyle with her. She spent a couple of years interning with AIA, and so my familiarity with it grew. Uh, a guy by the name of Scott Motice was the campus director at UW-Madison at that time, and me and him became very, very good friends. And he really, for the first time in my life, introduced the idea of what would it look like for me to to move forward in, in sports and ministry as a, as a missionary within this context of sports. And so that was new to me. I had heard about it from Lindsay, but it was exciting to me too. And so I, I joined staff with AIA in 2009, um, and, and our long-term placement is UW-Madison. And so I've been ministering to the Badger athletes for the last, man, eight or nine years now. But, but four years ago, I was on a special project with Athletes in Action, um, and they they kind of tasked me and a few other people of what would it look like to 
to revamp our website. At that point, it was a, more of a brochure style website. It was very much, this is who we are and this is what we do. But, but the shift that they wanted to make happen was uh, helping people think more um, theologically about where God and sport intersect. And so that, that began a process of me back in 2014, 2015, of really trying to think through that on my own terms of what does it really look like for for God to intersect these daily moments of sports that we see um, going on, and what does it look like to bring the gospel into into these moments where we're not just letting ESPN have the last say in everything that happens. So yeah, then then I wrote a book that got published last March, and it's kind of been a continual trajectory from there of me just trying to think deeply about this stuff and bring so- some sort of practicality to to athletes and coaches in the world of sports. Well, thanks, Brian. That's a great summary. In fact, uh, first, I just want to compliment you on that website and the work that you and the team is doing. It's really fabulous. There's a lot of content there. There, It's sort of formatted in ways that are accessible uh, in a short version, but also some longer versions. You take topical conversations and you move fairly quickly to uh, get people that are interested in sport to think theologically. And I just found it really interesting to read some of your stuff. So I appreciate you doing all of that. I think it's pretty fascinating. And it's exciting to see some of that activity happening um, through Athletes in Action. And I think it's only going to continue to grow. Can you tell us a little bit about who's reading that and how that's connecting with people? Yeah, the the main categories that people are reading it are, there's really three of them. There's athletes from really any stage of life, up from middle school, high school, college, even professional athletes, um, coaches at, at all levels, and then the, the third category that we're beginning to realize is really our, our dominant category as of late is parents who are involved in kids in the youth sports arena. And so, yeah, the, those are the three, athletes, coaches, and parents. And so each, each article is really um, – we're, we're trying to target a specific demographic and we're, we're a discipleship heavy ministry. And so we, we want to make sure that we're, yes, speaking into cultural issues and giving, giving good biblical exegesis for those, but also giving people just practical ways that they can take a step forward in their faith, um, whether they're a, a parent coaching a seven-year-old in soccer, a Division One college athlete wondering what does it look like to engage their teammates in spiritual conversation, or, or a coach wondering, man, what does it look like for me to to be a faithful believer, but also under the authority of, of an athletic department as well. So just yeah, the, the the topics that we can write on, I feel like are are endless. And it seems like you have some audiences that just can't get enough of sports. Specifically, you mentioned the most recent and the largest now, and that is parents and. Parents seem to be so consumed by uh, their their children's youth sports, and their their appetite it, uh, continues to grow. And so it's great to see that some of that energy and some of that interest is being directed towards thinking deeply about sport and faith. Coming to read uh, what you and your fellow contributors have written, one of the groups uh, Brian that you work with is uh, really is separate from parents, right? College athletes. Talk to us about the ministry you're doing at the uh, University of Wisconsin Madison. Yeah, so I work with Athletes in Action locally in Madison, so I help lead a staff team of, of nine Athletes in Action staff total. And so our our scope, like our, our local campus is UW-Madison, but our scope is the entire state. And so we have a heart to see spiritual movements um, launched at every single college university in the state of Wisconsin. But 
But how that plays out locally for us is we're, a, like I said before, a discipleship-heavy ministry, and so my day-to-day um, really looks like me. Like, I, I just got back from campus, walked into the door of my house, but I, I had been sitting across the table from Badger athletes and just opening up the Word and talking about what's going on in their life, but also pointing to what, what God says is uh, relevant to where they're at, but also how can, yeah, what does it look like for them to to model and look like Jesus with where they're at right now. So a lot of discipleship. We have a, a weekly meeting that takes place on Monday nights where we're bringing in local pastors or other speakers to just try to help them help them figure out where God and sports unite, but, but also to eat good pizza and to drink coffee and have donuts. <laughs> and so we, we don't shy away from bringing in good food. Um, That's important for discipleship. It, it is very important, especially <laughs> athletes. I mean, they, they eat a lot. And so we'll, we're going to bring them in the door however we can. We're, we're helping them lead Bible studies on their team, and so it's, it's one of our values here is that we want the, the Bible studies that are going on with the, the football team, the track team, basketball, whatever it is, to be student-led. And so it's, it's messier when students lead it, um, but there's, a, there's an empowerment and ownership that happens when they're the ones inviting teammates and studying the Word themselves and coming up with questions. So a large part of our job, honestly, is we're looking forward to a day when we've worked ourselves out of a role because these students are are being trained, they're doing the ministry, and then they begin to train themselves to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, ideally, I don't ever want to move from Madison, but ideally we get to a point where it's it's completely student-led, where they're, they're coming up with the ideas, they're training one another. It's very much that model of 2 Timothy 2.2. He says to his disciple Timothy, Paul does, and the things that you have heard me said in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will then be qualified to teach others. And so that's the model of ministry that we're trying to see happen here at Wisconsin and around the state, honestly. We're speaking to Brian Smith of Athletes in Action from University of Wisconsin-Madison and also author of The Assist, uh, along with a number of other publications. I'm loving this uh, sort of background information on you, Brian, fellow Grand Rapidian Rockford Ram (laughs) Uh, exciting stuff from from your history, but I'm eager to get into some of the content of what you write about regularly. So I think I'm going to be completely unfair and just pull some quotes from your book and then Go for it. just let you tell us a little bit uh, what that means to you and then maybe uh, kind of leave us with some, uh, some words of wisdom. So I'm going to start right here. You, you write, the word glory has turned into a buzzword we flippantly toss around because it is the right answer. But how many of us know what it really means? Can you tell us what you're talking about with the word glory? Yeah, and so I mentioned in the beginning, like I, I just grew up in both a, both a Christian culture but also sport culture, and so it, it became one of these things where it was evident that all of us, and I'm going to put myself included in this conversation, Christian athletes, knew the the right answer to a question of why do you why do you play your sport or what's your motivation and the the correct answer is to to glorify god and and in my experience as a christian athlete myself but also for the last 10 years sitting across the aisle from them and, and talking with them it's become one of those things that we we know we're supposed to say but but i began to be curious of how how much of us actually realize what it is we're saying and what that word actually means and, and conceptually what does it look like and do we actually understand that and so I just began to to poke around and ask questions to, to really with my own heart but also with the athletes I work with and I 
what I found out was not surprising. It's kind of what I thought I was going to find out is, is many of us just don't know what we're talking about. And it, I don't think it's, we're not trying to, to purposefully trick people. We've just been so conditioned to this is what you're supposed to say. I think it, it becomes easy to, to forget that, man, we, we should probably go back and revisit this question often of what, what is it actually that I'm, I'm saying. And so w- what I found through conversations, many conversations is it, it's often pinned down to one or two things. It's when I, when I give glory to God, it means I want to, I want to try my best for him. Or it means I, I just want to make sure he gets the credit for everything that I do. And I, neither of those are wrong, especially biblically. Those are not wrong. But there's, if we're limiting God's glory within the context of sport to just trying our best and making sure he gets the credit, I think we're missing out on a lot of joy that he would have for us if we, if we thought about maybe other ways that we could incorporate it into the daily life of a coach or an athlete. So you seem a little bit skeptical of, of an athlete who would say, hey, I'm giving all, all glory to God. Um, why is that? I think a couple of reasons. One, because I know my own heart, and I know I have answered that question the same way. And if I would have been asked by, I mean, I was a cross-country runner, and so reporters never ask us, <laughs> ask us <laughs> questions. And, uh, I actually went to high school, graduated with Dathan Ritzenhine, who's like a oh, three-time yeah. Olympian, still mm-hmm. professional runner. And so specifically, I never got asked any questions because he was always the one getting asked the questions. <laughs> But I know if if somebody would have said to me, hey, why do you do what you do? I I would have said, I do it because I want to glorify God. But if a reporter or anyone would have asked me, Brian, what does that actually mean when you say that? I don't think I could have answered that. I probably could have made something up that sounded good because the, the Christian game can be easy if you know the right language to say. But... But I think another reason is reporters don't ask follow-up questions, and the, the media shies away from matters of the faith. So even when professional athletes get that opportunity to, to add that plug for Jesus, which is great, and I'm not saying anything is wrong with that, they're just not given an opportunity to, to unpack that at a deeper level because our media does not give them that chance. Hmm. So I think, yes, one is the media has not given us the opportunity as a Christian culture to unpack our faith, and I think that coupled with the idea of like we, because we don't have that practice, it would be hard for us to even do that on the fly. Hmm. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right that we get comfortable throwing out lines that seem to fit a certain model. And one of them is very quickly that I'm playing for the glory of God. And I often wonder if we ask a an athlete, does that motivation make you think, more about your sport, less about your sport, and if it's always to your favor, is it possible that pos- that it's not to God's favor? And so those are some of the, the difficult questions that we don't really want to ask ourselves because we love sports so much, we just want our faith to sort of push us along. And I think it's great that you're starting to unpack that particular phrase and starting to get to this place where people start thinking more deeply about the words or the phrases we use, because I do think that the secular world is judging those phrases from an entirely different mindset, from a different standpoint. The Christian world might really want to hear it, and the secular world is judging it. When you think about just the presentation of Christian athletes, athletes who would identify as Christian in the larger world and in the media, how do you, how have you sort of reviewed that uh, in relation to the walk of a disciple? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So how have I, what's my perception of the Christian athlete? As, and are you asking, is that, how is that contrasted with what a biblical disciple looks like? Well, and, and maybe the way that we're so apt to want to portray a Christian athlete. Uh, we're sometimes comforted by the fact that a Christian athlete uh, makes themselves known to a larger audience through media. And sometimes we're nervous because we worry about maybe a, a hypocritical message. Have you thought much about how the media portrays Christian athletes and how you might give advice to people that are getting the microphone thrust into their face at University of Wisconsin? Yeah, I can. I think I can answer that from two perspectives: one to the to the athlete, but then to everybody else. I think there there is a tendency in our culture. So this is our Christian culture when we when we hear of an athlete, maybe for the first time, like when we when we first realize that Steph Curry loves Jesus or Carson Wentz loves Jesus or wh- whoever it may be, Tim Tebow. We can go on down the list, but there's this there's this tendency when we hear that they are a Christian athlete that we already put them in our in a category in our mind of being a mature disciple who is essentially Jesus who will never make any mistakes that then if they do heaven forbid get caught cursing on national television or doing something that a, a good quote unquote a good Christian would not do we go we're very quick to go all bad on them and consider them in the in this category of being a hypocrite and so it's what I would want us as believers and really culture at large to understand is that all people who profess to love Jesus whether they're an athlete or an entertainment whatever it would be like we are all in a process and we're all at different spots on that process and so what what burdens my heart for the the athletes who are I'm not going to use exposed just because there's I can't think of another term right now, but who whose faith is out there and they're identified by culture at large as a Christian. What what concerns me is that they are being so closely watched, and there's not a good enough understanding that they're in process, and there's this expectation that they're always supposed to be perfect. And hopefully that that's an expectation that they can try to live up to, but. I can't live up to that expectation, man. If I had cameras on me 24-7, I, I probably would not still be a missionary with athletes <laughs> in action. And so, man, I, I would want one just for, for culture at large to understand, yeah, for somebody like Steph Curry, we should celebrate absolutely yes and amen that he is a Christ follower. He, is, he has put a stake in the ground for Jesus. But also understand that he's a human in, in the environment of sport there's a lot of just crazy emotions that he's going to go through in the course of a 48 hour or a 48 minute basketball game that a lot of us don't fully understand. And he's going to be forced to react in ways that he's probably not going to be super proud of. And he probably wish he could take back, but it's recorded and it's a video and it's going to be on all over social media and it's going to be on ESPN the next day. And so they're, at some level, there needs to be an ability on our end to just give them grace and say, you know, he probably would like to take that back. And I'm not going to label him or anybody else a, a hypocrite. I'm going to say, just like me, they love Jesus and they're in process, and they're just trying to figure it out. And then for the athlete, I would say, man, you you know you're going to be watched closely, that when you tell the world that you are a follower of Christ, that there's a, an expectation that you're supposed to be perfect and say the right things and do the right things. And so 
one, you need to be in your word as much as possible, and so you know what it looks like to actually live and breathe in a, in a biblical fashion. But two, to understand, like, you you have an opportunity when you do fail to just stand up and admit it and say, I, I, I know that I, I could have done that differently, and had, if I could rewind, I would, I would go back and do it differently. So to, to let the audience know and let the fan base know, hey, I, I'm not perfect. I'm actually more similar to you than you probably realize but I'm just, I'm just trying to play out my faith in an environment where everybody's watching me, and sometimes I screw up. So I, th- I think for athletes to be able to, to have a platform to say, hey, I'm, I'm similar to everybody else, I just, I'm being watched, I think would humanize them a little bit and also give us an ability to give them more grace. It's such, such great ad- advice, I think, for us to think about as, as a you know, culture of Christianity, but also um, you know, those of us who sort of heroize athletes in sport. So often that happens, and we forget, like you're saying, that, that they are real people that make mistakes. You know, I, too, feel like I'm in the same boat as you, Brian, that if I had cameras on me all day long uh, throughout my entire life, boy, certainly things would get exposed that I wouldn't want exposed because I'm human, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so the difficulty for 18 to 22-year-old um, athletes, for instance, that you, you work with has to do with the fact that they're being watched, um, you know, not just by uh, by their peers like other college students are, and they're on a pedestal on campus, certainly, uh, specifically those from higher-profile sports, but also having sort of this, this national identity, too, where, where, where folks are watching them from all over. And, and if they screw up, as so many college students do, it's amplified, right? The media just, just blows it up. We, we, in some sense, love to see athletes who, who we can use as great examples, especially as, as Christians that we love, that... Steph Curry, for instance, we love that Tim Tebow. We love, we love so many of these athletes who have professed their Christianity, but we also love to see the mighty fall. And that's an interesting, it's sort of a unique um, um, dichotomy among the, the sports-loving community that, uh, that we love to see, see players do really well and, and morally uh, do well, but we also sort of you know, love to see a little bit of crash and burn in, in some sense too. Can you give us some examples of some athletes you've worked with? And, and you don't need, I'm not saying you need to get into names, but what are some of the things that you're dealing with with athletes that are, that are having to navigate through wanting to profess their Christian faith and yet knowing maybe that they're not equipped to be, you know, where, they're not where pastors are. They're not seminary graduates. They're not necessarily prepared to have this public national platform, but they do want to tell people that they love Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I am... I'm passionate about helping every athlete understand that they have a they do have a platform, and so there there's few athletes even on the campus at UW Madison that would have a a citywide platform or even a national platform. So that that's a very small percentage of people who I think I mean that's that's a separate conversation when they get into the national spotlight. What does it look like to to communicate that well and in an interview style? But for for the majority of the athletes who are getting back to your question, who are wondering what does it look like for me to profess my faith and wanting to do that a little more publicly, I try to encourage them in one of two ways. One, uh, there are many opportunities around the city with um, fellowship of Christian athlete groups, um, church, high school groups, youth groups who absolutely love having college athletes come to their group and just share a five to ten minute testimony of how, how Jesus has changed their lives. And so that they can go in into an environment like that, and because they are a Badger athlete, 
everybody is listening and hanging on every word they say. If, if I go into an environment like that, like I'm a 36-year-old bald dude who's still kind of a scrawny former distance runner, like I, I just don't have people's attention and they don't care what I have to say. Athletes, for some reason, our culture just hangs on every word that they have to say. And so part of it is they need to know how to communicate the gospel clearly, and they also need to know how to communicate their testimony in a way that incorporates that gospel message clearly. And so those are the two biggest things that I try to tell athletes. Is if you want to, if you're trying to be an agent of change and get involved in the, the mission of the kingdom of God, you need to, at some level, be able to articulate the gospel message, and then you need to be able to tell your story. And so the, the other part of that platform is, aside from just doing it in the city with these groups, is they have a they have a talent that God has given them, and he's surrounded them by people that have a similar talent for for seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 300. Like, it, they're around their team all the time. And so what better opportunity does it look like to have a platform than to be sweating and dying and bleeding next to these people every single day to be able to communicate and show the love of Jesus. So that's the other part of platform is you don't need to be a stud athlete. You just, if you're on a team, you, you have an opportunity to be an agent of change for Christ. And so helping them see that like their, their mission field is their team. And that's really good work that you're doing day to day in the context where you can see how the culture affects each of these different student athletes in different ways. And I'm really excited to kind of get into a number of different topics, but I don't think we'll get to all of them. So I, before we get too far, I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to just to plug your work because I want to tell our listeners that this is a great uh, opportunity and resource. At the, um, at the site where you write, there'll be lots of different topics that you cover and other authors or contributors cover. You might find things like a sports idolatry test. You'll find an article on why it's okay to pray for a win, also a, a really fascinating look at that, and, and even why we might root for a person like Tiger Woods. So if you could just give us, uh, before you answer the next question, a little bit more about your book and where they can find it and a little bit more about the website where most of your material is found. But before you a- answer that, let me quickly just set this one up uh, because it's very topical. Okay. Recently... Uh, Maryland, the Maryland football program, retained and then fired their head coach, DJ Durkin. And it was on sort of the heels of this very significant controversy in the, the death of an offensive lineman, Jordan McNair. And we talk a little bit about the culture that was set. And the charge was that the culture included sort of a culture of fear. And as a coach, I have used fear in a number of different circumstances in different ways maybe not in the same way as DJ Durkin, but I've also experienced that as an athlete. I've experienced coaches that have led through fear. I remember going to a, a coaching seminar by Bobby Knight, and that was quite a culture change, uh, listening to him interact with his players and trying to get high levels of uh, performance out of a person through sort of a domineering personality or a presence. The military's done this for many, many years. Can you tell us a little bit how you've reflected on this idea of trying to get a high-level performance out of an athlete using the force of a personality or even a culture of fear and how that might fit or be something that we need to steer clear of? Yeah. So I'll start with a little bit about the book. So the book is called The Assist, 
a gospel-centered guide to glorifying God through sports. And so if you search for it on Amazon, you just type in The Assist, it should come right up under books. Um, you can also get, get at it through my website, which is theassistbook.com. My writing can be found at athletesinaction.org. And so if you're looking for things specifically written by me, if you go to navigate your way to athletesinaction.org, there's a drop-down menu and you can look at contributors and you just find your way to, to my face and my name and click on that and everything that I've ever written will kind of show up underneath my, underneath my name there. In regards to your question, yeah, it is a, a great question. One that, man, I, I want to answer it from from a Christian coach perspective, but also just from like whether or not you you have surrendered your life to Jesus. There's just some general wisdom that I think can be gleaned from this, and it's that you know, putting fear in an athlete may motivate them short term, and I, I understand why coaches do it, specifically coaches who um, who maybe not be guided by uh, the biblical ethic, but for for a coach to to try to motivate an athlete out of fear, what they're doing is essentially putting their own anger and frustration onto a young athlete. And so what what that does to an athlete is it puts a measure of weight upon their shoulders. And we tell coaches and athletes all the time, free athletes compete better. And so athletes who have an understanding that their identity is not tied up in what they do, that they're, they're fully loved by God, regardless of whether they succeed or fail. They're fully loved by God, regardless of what their coach thinks about them, regardless of what their parents or the fans or teammates, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it would be. Athletes who are freed up from the incessant need of the approval of other people are just free to compete better. Like it, it, that just seems like general. We could bring in a a good biblical argument here, but it also seems like common sense to me. Like if you can get an athlete at a spot where they know that they are fully loved and they understand that their their identity and sense of worth is not attached to how they're going to perform and the the result of that performance, and I feel like that would free athletes up to to risk in ways that maybe they haven't before. That the the opportunity to give 90%, which is not 100% because they're afraid that last 10% that they're going to give, if they, if they fail, there's going to be repercussions there. What if, what if there was no fear of failure? What if they knew that regardless of how hard they, they tried or their success or failure, that on the other end of that is going to be a coach that says, hey, I, I'm going to love you regardless of how you do. Like, I'm going to coach the mess out of you and hope that I can get the the best out of you, but I want you to know that regardless of what happens, like, I I still love you and I still want what's best for you and I'm here for you. And I I feel like that would be a new day and age in sports where we would see athletes competing at a whole new level of intensity because what do they have to fear? Hopefully the the answer would be very little. Free athletes will always compete better. And so that, again, I understand why coaches may respond with anger and fear tasks tactics at the end of the day like they're we need to give them grace and understand that their job is often dependent on the performance of 18 to 21 year olds who i man i i would not want that and i think that i would often fall to the i would cave to the pressure of fear tactics because it, like i need to put food on the on the table for my family but for them to understand that 
the best way forward really is the biblical ethic of loving other people well and helping them understand their identity is separate from their performance on the athletic field. And I think that's great advice for coaches that are trying to sort out that culture, that that setting of that culture with these high expectations. I have a little of a, a, a question to sort of tweak that a little bit. And I'm just wondering, so I can love you and I can uh, value your identity in Christ. Can I still bench you? Absolutely. And that that is it's the tension of the, especially as a, a Christian coach, your job is to love God and love people. And so part of loving God and glorifying God as a coach is to hopefully people would agree is to be the best possible coach you can be. And that oftentimes means you, well, hopefully this means every single time you're putting the best people on the field to succeed. And so your, your way of glorifying God is saying, I'm, I'm going to put the best product on the field to give my team the best chance to win because that God wants us to go after excellence. But there's, there's also a loving way that you can do that where you're not when in the process of benching somebody, you are not, demeaning them or um or looking down on them like you can you can still bench somebody in a way that loves them and empowers them to to get better the next time you know i think brian that um one of the the issues that maybe coaches and athletic administrators have had over time regarding christian athletes is um is maybe uh, turning what you've said on its head, that in some sense, if an athlete loves God and and knows that they are loved by God, no matter what, they run the risk of getting soft. They run the risk of losing their competitive edge, that whatever it was that, especially at elite levels, made them such that uh, uh, loving Jesus Christ, that, that following the Lamb of God will make you soft like a lamb. Yeah, and so they're when that perspective, and that really is it's a perspective shift for athletes when that comes in, there's, I think we can fall on one or two sides of the pendulum. And I don't, I don't know which one of these is, I don't want to say either is right or wrong, but this is just what I've seen. There is the side that we're talking about where this perspective comes in that they are fully loved by God. And as a Christian athlete, they're, they're freed up that their identity is not attached to their competition. And so they do like they, they try harder than ever before. And there's this freedom but then with other athletes, there's this idea of like, okay, perspective comes in now, and it's, it's almost as if, man, do, do sports really matter in the grand scheme of life? And so we've, we've honestly seen a lot of athletes who have, um, I don't want to say soft, but who have, who have just walked away from their sport altogether because they've just, they've just given up and can't see how, in light of the gospel and God's kingdom moving forward, how sports plays a role in that. I think that's, that may be an okay spot for some athletes, but I would default more towards the other end of, and God has given you this gift for a reason, and he's put you around people who share a similar gift, and he wants you to be a light in the midst of that. And man, what better way to be a light for God than to, to be that athlete who, who is always trying 110% and not, a, not afraid of failure? This is a fascinating deeper dive, really, into the mind of a coach, the mind of an athlete, and really the heart of a coach and a heart of an athlete. And we just want to thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for the work that you're doing with the student athletes that you're working with and also just uh, providing resources for people to be able to think more deeply and think more theologically about sport. We want to move in our final mo- moments here into what we call a speed round. And 
Chad and I might tag team this a little bit. And what we'd like you to do is just give the first response to any of these questions, uh, short and quick. Uh, we'll let you revise it at some point, but we just want to dig into this to get to know you a little bit more. And and let me just yep. start with this. And I think I know the answer to this, so it's a bit of a setup. Give me who's your favorite NFL team? Detroit Lions. All right. So you said that with great <laughs> uh, confidence. Um, <laughs> Good for you. Uh, mine too. So uh, along those lines, and, and just to be uh, clear, this is it's a hard thing to be a Detroit Lions fan. Can you name three of your favorite fired uh, Detroit Lions coaches? Oh, three of my favorites. I mean, Wayne Fonts would have to be up there. He's awesome. <laughs> yep. I, w- I was a fan of, this might surprise you, I Jim Schwartz was another one for me. Oh, wow. Jim he, Schwartz. Okay. He, yep. He, he changed the culture um, from what it was. In a good way? Think, yeah. yeah. In, in the, on the record books. He did. I mean, he, yes. And then Jim Caldwell after that. I was, I'm a huge, still a huge fan of Jim Caldwell. No Marnie Morningwig. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot there's of them. There's a lot. I was going to say, right, this is exactly. so funny that you two Detroit Lions fans. We could talk for the, hours. Why don't we just keep this going This here? is we'll the just... question that comes up <laughs> instead of saying, like, you know, your top three favorite players of all time from the team. No, top three f- favorite fired coaches. Are, are you kidding me? That's that's the legacy from Welcome this team? Welcome to a Detroit Lions fandom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to change gears a little bit. Ask you a new question. Who's your? Uh, you're obviously uh, finding material from other people. Partially, it comes from your own head and your own study, but you're also finding uh, other people's work, and hopefully, that's helpful to you. Who's your favorite Christian author? Oh man, right now I would say my favorite Christian author. I love a guy. His name's Matt Perman. He's written a book called What's Best Next, and a, a more recent one called Unstuck. And so Matt, Matt blends. Theology and practicality in a way for people in the workplace to be productive, and that's I love people who can say this is what God thinks, but this is how you can apply this within your context. That's great. Are you? Uh, do you have another uh, person on that list? Do you have a couple more? Um, who else would be on that list? I'm a, I've been heavily influenced by John Piper's writing. Um, mm-hmm. I listen to and read anything that that comes from Matt Chandler. So very much influenced by him as well. All right. So let me let me switch gears again. Um, favorite sport, Brian? Football. Football. That's great. Favorite uh, team to root for, other than the Detroit Lions, doesn't have to be a football team. Oh man. Um, probably historically for me, that's been Detroit Red Wings. Guy, something about like the Mitten State here. I grew up in the state, and yet I'm not, I'm not a Detroit sports fan. What's the matter with you? I know. Well, I I, I grew up, I guess, uh, equidistant from Chicago, so that was always sort of sort of my teams. But yeah, I'll move back down there. <laughs> Detroit <laughs> has had a good run, though. A, 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 a good run of of what really? I'm saying is, um, yes, that uh, they've been able to enjoy loyal loyal fans. No question about it. Absolutely. Loyal, stupid, almost the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what's your hobby that's not related to sports? Yeah, I love um, doing house projects. So love building things with my hands, working uh, with wood, chopping wood. A do-it-yourselfer. What's the most recent project? Most recent one would be, let's see, I have remodeled my son's closet. And so I busted out a wall and put a sliding door in there and put some built-in bookshelves and actually made him a secret trapdoor bookshelf that swings open that he can kind of hide all of his toys and read in the corner when, once he shuts it. 
wow, you might be the only father that's ever created that for a child as opposed to the child creating that for <laughs> themselves so they can get away, right? Find a place to, to hide. How cool. And the that's demolition right. too. How fun to, to demolish things, yep. right? That's, I, that's yep. one thing I can do in the house. I, I can break things and break things down, but I can't build them And back then call up. someone who knows what they're doing. Yes, we'll right. call Brian Smith, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about uh, the most frustrating part about explaining your job to other people? Yeah, most people want to know, like, what is a, a daily, give me, give me a, what does it look like in your daily life? Like, tell me what you do with your job. And so every day for me is different. Like, some days I'm writing, other days I'm leading Bible studies, other days I'm just discipling athletes, some days I'm home with my kids while my wife is on campus because we have the same exact job. So just explaining my day in and day out living to, to other people. You know, Brian, when I have uh, a rough day at work with colleagues, whatever else, I come home and I vent to my wife and I can talk to her about it because she's not there with me. And so I have I have some, some hands, I have some knowledge that, that she doesn't have there. You might not experience that. Is there someone else that, is there another way that you cope with some of the difficulties of, of this job? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm being discipled by someone myself, and so one of our local pastors, I work out with him every Friday morning for two hours, and so we, yeah, he he is 10 years older than me and has kids that are 10 years older than mine, and so he, yeah, he's just a few life stages ahead of where I'm at right now, and he used to work in college ministry, and so I, everything I say to him, he, he says, I get it, I experienced that too, and this is how I kind of navigated that process when I was in it. And that's a great lesson for all of us to have people in our lives that we can go to that are spiritual mentors, and that's a great thing for you to model. Now, Brian, I know that you've written about this topic, and I know it's one of Chad's favorites as well. So we're going to leave it right here with this final question. It's the most important question as we go through it. So just give me your, your straight-up answer, no equivocation. Will Tiger Woods win a major this year? Oh, this year. Wow. Yes. Yes, he will. All right. There you go. You're a Tiger Woods fan. I am a fan of excellence. Like I want I want to be able to in 20 years tell my son I I lived through this guy's prime and it was amazing. And so I yes, I'm I'm a fan of Tiger Woods the athlete in the same way that you guys might get this. Like I I cheer for Tom Brady when he's not playing the Lions. I cheered for Kobe Bryant. Like I just like seeing really good people sustain mm-hmm. excellence for a long time. It is certainly is, is fun to watch excellence, to be in the presence of, of ex- excellence athletically or otherwise. Hey, this has been an Absolutely. excellent interview, Brian. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to, to Brian Smith here, interviewed on our podcast, Dig Deep, Sport, Faith, and Life. As always, thanks so much for listening. Brian, we want to thank you, and we also want to invite you to the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, which will be... Uh, in October 23 through 27, 2019, it is here that uh, there that we'll be discussing topics like this and many others. Uh, Brian, we'd love to have you there if you can make it, uh, but just thanks a lot for coming on uh, the program with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it.